Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Thursday morning, the 23rd of March. Good morning. With much debate and discussion from now till 11am, this is Michael Reed on LMFM. The ban on addictions ends in eight days from now, following yesterday's comfortable win for the government on the issue in the Dáil yesterday. The issue doesn't end there, however, with another Sinn Féin motion going before the Dáil next week on extending the ban, and then that's to be followed by a Labour Party motion of no confidence in the government. The government has faced down strong criticism this week over its position that the right thing to do is to make thousands of people homeless now. The central cause of this crisis is you and your policies. And I have to say, Deputy Barry was right. Uh, You will be remembered uh, like some of your predecessors. For those of us old enough to remember when Margaret Thatcher withdrew uh, uh, free milk from schools in Britain, Thatcher, Thatcher, the milk snatcher uh, was the campaign slogan. Uh, John Bruton uh, and VAT on children's shoes almost brought down a government. That is your legacy. That is what people will associate with the name Dara O'Brien into perpetuity. The minister who deliberately increased homelessness of single people, of adults, and of pensioners. Sinn Féin's Ono Brin summing up the opposition's view on the eviction ban, a view which government contends is simply wrong. At the crux of everything we do is the need to increase supply of housing. Extending the eviction ban would not do that. If we were to do, as Sinn Féin asked, and extend the moratorium to the end of January, we would only serve to shrink the number of homes available to rent. If we were to do what they are asking... We would only be having this very same debate in the middle of winter. And if we were to do as you were asking, there would be no phasing out period, rather a hard cliff edge of evictions in the weeks after Christmas, as you've proposed. That's the Minister for Housing, Dara O'Brien. Pat Casey is Finna Falls spokesperson on finance in Shannon Aaron. Senator Casey joins us on the line this morning together with Sinn Féin TD for Louth and Eastmead, Melda Munster. Good morning to both of you and thanks for joining us on the programme today. Pat Casey, can I begin with you? Uh, because uh, people are a, a little bit confused uh, in terms of uh, the government's argument 
argument, uh, which is uh, that even more people will risk becoming homeless if the decision is put off until the end of January next year to end the ban. Can you explain to us why that is the case? Why would more people become homeless in 10 months than would be the case today? And could the government not use those 10 months uh, between now and the end of January to put measures in place to prevent that from happening? Yeah, good morning, Michael, and good morning, Emelda. Listen, all the eviction ban has, has now been in place, and what we must also recognise is that people have become homeless during the eviction ban that is in place today, up until the end of the month. What the government have done, and there is no 100% right decision in relation to this, no matter what decision you take, there's consequences of. And what the government have done has weighed up the consequences and they believe by ending the eviction ban now will have less of an impact on homelessness than carrying on the eviction ban up until January next But very few people understand why that is the case. And you also raise another question, which is what did the government do over the last six months to prevent the situation we're going into in eight days' time? Well, over the last six months, the government brought in a number of measures, including the tenant in situ purchase scheme, which is in place and the opposition keep calling for it. But they forget to realise it's actually in place. Already 500 families have benefited from that tenant in situ and have now living in, in their own homes. There is another 500 actually going through the department at the moment and the government is budgeting for another 1,500. Mm in 2023. I know, and we know we know an awful lot has been done, but clearly not enough has been done. Uh, Has as much as could possibly have been done uh, uh, actually been put in place? Uh, uh, Number one, there is measures there to protect people from from entering homelessness. But we've nearly 12,000 people uh, homeless already and almost 4,000 children who are homeless. And those figures are are going to increase by thousands in the coming days by the government's own admission. Could more not have been done and could more not be done in the next 10 months? More will be done. and, And it goes back to what the minister said. It's all about supply. And the government is increasing supply. But what we don't want is a complete exodus of landlords from the market. And we are already seeing that we lost 13,500 tenancies last year alone, net loss of tenancies alone. That will only be expedited worse if the eviction ban continues. And we will have a bigger problem at the end of it. And not alone, it'll be in January, which is probably the worst time of year to end an eviction ban. So the government, and the government, don't forget, has significant safety measures in place that deal with people who are got a notice to quit. And Melda and myself would have them in our Mm. offices on a weekly basis, and we would have been dealing with them over the last Mm. number of years. There is measures there to protect families. What do you mean? Sorry? What, what, What do you mean by that? Well, well, as soon as a person gets a notice to quit, yeah. they're informed the local authority. Yeah. If they're already on the local authority list or on the HAP list, the council will do their utmost best yeah. within that that six months notice period to find them an alternative I know, but, accommodation. But, but the councils are also saying, come back to us when you're facing into homelessness, which for many people will be over the next couple of weeks. Uh, what protection is there for them? Are you saying they won't become homeless? No, I never made that statement. No, 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 no. No, that's what matters. But that's what matters. 
Uh, Amel, yes, Amel, and that's Amel, why the government... No, no that, that's, that's why... I mean, it's ridiculous to say you're protecting people from becoming homeless on one hand and on the other hand saying people are going to become homeless. We, we, <laughs> it, just, it just doesn't add up. I'm sorry, Senator, but that, that's just ridiculous. What's ridiculous? To say, say on one hand that you're protecting people from becoming homeless and then on the other hand saying we, they're going to become homeless anyway. No, we have put in protection measures when people have got notices to quit. But the protection notices don't work. That's what I'm saying to you. It's ridiculous to say that you're protecting people from becoming homeless on one hand and then on the other hand saying they're going to become homeless anyway. What I'm saying is that there's measures put in place through the government, through the local authority, when families get notices... Yeah, but what I'm saying to you is it's a ridiculous argument because it has no bearing on the reality of people's lives. You might have whatever in place, but people... No, it doesn't... look at this a bit closer, Michael... In quarter four alone last year, 1,000, almost 1,500 adults okay. and their families... You put protection... All right, all right, look, we, we'll just accept, we'll just accept what you're saying at face value. We, what, we'll, this, we'll accept what you're saying at face value because I want to go to Imelda Munster and what you're saying is that you put protections in place for people to prevent them from becoming homeless, but they're going to become homeless anyway. Uh, Imelda Munster, uh, bad as it may be, uh, the government is saying you couldn't do any better than this. Mike, the reality is that in eight days' time, there's going to be thousands um, of eviction notice, notices that will start to kick in from, from April. And yesterday, I think the government made one of the cruelest decisions that any Irish government has ever made, and that was to knowingly and willingly make a policy that will result in people being evicted into homelessness. And do you believe that there would be more people who would become homeless at the end of January next year, if it wasn't to do that now because of the exodus of landlords? No, what the, that's the, the nonsense the government are coming out with. And that's what they're actually admitting is that their policies aren't working and that they won't have sufficient new housing stock in place. But what we're going to see now from, from April is we're going to see levels of homelessness that none of us ever thought would be possible. And to be honest with you, yesterday was... It was sickening. Like, I've seen them do some really crappy things, but just when you thought that they couldn't stoop any lower, they did this. You know, it's, it's where do people go? Are you being fair, though? Because the Taoiseach spoke about four years yesterday, 2022, 2023, 1975 and 2007. He said that in 2022, 30,000 new homes were built, which was the highest number of homes in the last 15 years. In 2022, 8,000 new so- social houses were built in the state, which was the highest uh, in any year since 1975. In 2023, uh, more people bought uh, their first home than was uh, the case since records began in 2010. Michael, at a time when there's record homelessness, at, right, at a time when the government already, their targets are so low, they've actually, for social and affordable housing, they've missed their targets three years in the trough. That's, that's the reality of it. And just even to bring it, you know, listen to the senator there, you know, that there's protections there. There is no emergency accommodation. If you even look in this county, no emergency accommodation allowed. No hotels, no B&Bs, nothing. That's nothing. And that's before the, the lifting of the eviction ban. There's 172 people had presented last month as homeless to Loud County Council. That's before the eviction. But the government has made it clear to all of us uh, that whilst people will be evicted, they won't be looking for emergency accommodation. Uh, They'll find other arrangements. They'll go live with their parents or maybe they'll buy somewhere to live. Or sleep rough 
a Garda station or sleep rough. Or sleep in a sofa you know, in a friend's house or maybe they'll maybe they'll find somewhere else to rent. Look, the other day there was five properties to rent in Drogheda. The, the, one of them was 2500 a month. A two-bed was 1700 The reality is, in the short term, by, by lifting this eviction ban, it means that 3,000 households will face imminent eviction with nowhere to go. And had they kept it and extended it, they'd have been spared that ordeal. I've never... I mean, what they've done is create panic, stress, anxiety, a sense of hopelessness, and... Mary Lou had said it, they've lost all sense of, de- of decency. They've literally, I mean, it was unbelievable what happened yesterday. And they were laughing amongst themselves and chatting away and joking and at the same time voting to put people out. On well, the uh, I, I'm not sure if I the, mean, that, that they were laughing right, away and joking. Uh, I mean, I think the government uh, says that it's taking this very seriously. And let's go back no, to not, Senator Pat Casey if we can. Do you accept the fact that this has caused an awful lot of stress and anxiety for people, Senator Casey? This is the most stressful time in any family's life if they have been given a notice to quit. And let me put it on record. We were not laughing and joking and we haven't politicised this debate, but Sinn Féin continued Why to politicise this debate. I didn't intervene in with Melanie Munster. I've asked her not to intervene with me. I gave her time. I want my time. Clearly, the eviction ban hasn't worked in relation to homelessness. We have seen people exiting homeless during the eviction ban. And Melda herself has just admitted that 127 people were, were given those to the quit during the eviction ban in her own, in her own county. So it is down to supply. It is down to the government putting in measures that will prevent the families becoming homeless. And we, we introduced another few new measures in, yesterday in relation to opportunity to buy and the cost rental back, backstop that has been put in place. That is on top of the tenant in situ situation. And each local authority, when a person is given an oath to quit, must inform the local authority. They will do to provide. They will do their best to provide an alternative home for them by the time that comes into place. Which and there's is many good time. people, there are many people, uh, very good people, doing very good work and working very hard to try and uh, achieve that. But it, it's not possible if there's nowhere to accommodate people. Yeah, but we are finding we are finding homes for these people. It's wrong to say that there is nowhere for them. There is there is a continuous cycle and movement of housing stock within within the country. And Amelda would know that. I'm wondering many men people have gone to Amelda's office where they've got a notice the quick and by the time that come around they have been sorted with their home. Yet there is people who do end up in emergency accommodation. And even the stat I gave you there a while ago, in, in December alone, 1,500 people exited and their family emergency accommodation. So there is a continuous cycle of this. Nobody wants to end up in emergency accommodation. We put in every as much as we can and we will do more in relation to providing long-term solutions. And this is, these are the long-term solutions that we are providing. Tenant in situ purchase, opportunity to buy, and the cost rental backstop, which is now coming into play. And that's given the tenant the first, in relation to opportunity to buy, the first offer to buy that house from the landlord. Okay, Imelda Munster, uh, it'll be a temporary situation if it happens at all, because tenants may end up buying the houses that they're living in. Mike, some of the proposals that were in the government's policy or in the government's amendment to our motion are existing government policies that they never acted on. Others 
need legislation, that takes time. If you look at in Loud, right, the residential tenancy board, the, the figures for the third quarter of last year said that with this, if this eviction ban is lifted, there's 97 people minimum in Loud facing eviction and 127 in need. And that's expected to rise even more. Now, on top of that, you have no emergency accommodation, you have no hotels, no B&Bs, and you have very few properties to let. So that's, people are, have nowhere, nowhere to go. And can I just make a point? I know Senator Casey's here this morning, but I'm really disappointed, Mike, and I have to say it, that our local TD, the only TD in, in Loud that actually voted to, to willingly... We'll have Fergus O'Dowd with us on the programme. We'll have Fergus O'Dowd with us on the programme tomorrow. Well, maybe he can explain to the people of Mead yeah. why he voted mm. in favour of Loud and Mead. Well, he, he will. He will. He, he's, a, he's agreed to do that tomorrow. Um, so. Because I've never, I never seen anything like it. And I've, I mean, they, it would afford them, had they voted in favour of our motion to extend the eviction ban, it would have afforded them time for the policies and the proposals that Senator Casey is suggesting, it would have given them time mm. to put those in place. At the minute, there's nothing there in place to help those people. OK, and Senator Casey, we- so let me go back to Senator Casey, because you say uh, Melda Munster is wrong, and the government says that that argument uh, is wrong, but does that also mean Peter McVerry is wrong? Does it mean Threshold is wrong? Does it mean Focus Ireland is wrong? Does it mean Simon are wrong? Does it mean DePaul are wrong? I think, that, listen, there is political games going on here. Not, not from the people and the, the organisations, not from the people and the organisations that I've just named. This, 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 this event. Number one, what we have done is, is we haven't created a cliff edge. In fact, in relation to the to notice the quits period, that will be spread over a number of months. Now, Deputy Munster is wrong. There is always, and I've said it there, there's always a cycle of properties within it. And not everybody who gets a notice to quit will end up in emergency accommodation, thankfully, because of the measures we have put in place. We are introducing new new measures to try and assist that to ensure that additional people don't end up in emergency accommodation. And we, we need to give that time to work. And, and it will work. But it does go back to supply. And it does go back okay. to the supply of rental properties. Okay. But let, let, let me just point out one thing in relation to Sinn Féin and in relation to rental properties. They are totally against landlords and they have vilified landlords in, in the last five years. They haven't given them a moment's break. They, according to Sinn Féin, landlords are toxic. Okay. Okay, I have that point and I'm sure that you're right that Sinn Fein are playing politics as is the case with every no, political well, as is, is just because there's a, a very important question that I want to put to you uh, because all politicians play politics that's the nature of politics. But let me go back to that uh, question that I was putting to you about the organizations that are apolitical. Park the politics for a moment. Uh, none of these organizations have a political agenda whether it's threshold focus Ireland, Simon or DePaul or Peter McVerry for that matter. Are they all wrong? No, I'm not saying they're wrong and when I started my contribution here this morning, I said there's no situation whether you take the government's position or the opposition position is 100% correct. They all will have factors involved in them that will either accelerate or de-accelerate the the homelessness crisis. Now the government has taken a decision to say that the short-term gain well, if, if we were to extend the, the eviction ban, the long-term damage done 
would be greater than the short-term damage that be affected in Well, that is to suggest that all of those groups are wrong because they're saying otherwise. Well, that is that is a policy difference, and that is a situation difference. And but they're the people working cannot, on the cold face. We cannot ignore the legislative opinion that we have got in relation to this was a temporary eviction ban that was put in mm. place, and and a, a permanent or another eviction ban being put in place does seemingly have some legal consequences, as the current eviction ban is already been challenged. All right. Well, Imelda Munster, just to conclude, I'm sure you wouldn't expect the government to advi- uh, ignore its advisers. <laughs> Mike, what they're doing, and that, this again shows their arrogance. They're actually ignoring those that are working, as you said, in the coal face, working in the housing sector, trying to find accommodation for people morning, noon and night, day in and day out. And Senator Kerry said there the issue is supply. Whose fault is that? We've been saying that for years. The government, their own housing policies have failed. And that's why we are where we are. But I just want to ask, and I want every government TD to answer this question, because none of them have done. So, Senator Casey, seeing as you're here and now, of the hundreds of people in Louth alone, you you can cater for the whole country if you want, but in Louth alone, who face eviction from April, eight days' time, where do those people go? Answer that. Well, let me come back to Deputy Munster there. And first of all, when she talks about supply, and Michael, you did outline the T-shirts response mm-hmm. yesterday, where we're seeing the highest levels of completions of houses since 2007. We're seeing the highest commencement since I think the records began. We have the highest number of social housing since 1975 delivered last year. So supply is increasing. What we can't do to the public is tell them fantasy figures. We have to deal with the reality. We have to deal with the supply crisis. We have to deal with with, with employment. So in relation to that, let's just clearly put on that. And in relation to what Melda Mulzer keeps shouting at me is that it is the same in Wicklow. There will be a number of notices to quit that people will be issued. And from the issue date to the time of that actually happening, the local authority will put in measures, number one, to find an alternative accommodation that will suit the family needs. And, and, and it is a rolling, housing stock is a rolling move. Okay. It's not specific okay. to one specific day. Okay, I have, to, I, I have to leave it there. I'm sorry, we're out of time. Did you ever time. hear such ball, Mike? Well, we have no, to leave on, it there. We have, and you're the ones that are objecting. We have to leave there. I'm sorry I'm over time. We're not going to find agreement, quite obviously, but thank you both indeed for taking the time to debate it with us. Uh, we were speaking there with Imelda Munster, who's a Sinn Féin TD for Loud and East Mead, as well as Pat Casey, who's Fianna Fáil's spokesperson on finance in Shannon Aaron. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, if you exclude a small minority of irresponsible dog owners from the conversation, who doesn't hate dog litter? Well, dog poo on pavements could very well become a thing of the past in County Cork. Councillor Noel McCarthy is a Fine Gael councillor on Cork County Council and for Moy Municipal District Council. And a, a very good morning to you, Councillor McCarthy. Thanks for joining us here on LMFM today. Tell us about your motion uh, and how it's hoped it will bring about an end to this terrible thing that we all live with across the country. 
Good morning, Michael. Good morning, listeners, and thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, I put down, Michael, on Monday we had a divisional meeting of Cork County Council and we had a report from the environmental section and I got the opportunity to raise the problem again. That's not just in Fomoy or in Cork, it's all over the country and that's the problem of dog fouling. And as you said in in your introduction, Michael, the small minority, because I want to compliment the people that do the right thing, is clean up after the dog and dispose of it properly in a bin and so on or take it home and put it in their bins. But unfortunately, Michael, there's, as you, there's a small minority out there that don't do the right thing. Don't clean up after the dog. Expect someone else to do it. Someone else has to walk on the streets. It's, it's totally upsetting a awful lot of people. Mm. And it's getting worse, Michael. And, and local authorities say it's impossible to police. Uh, but tell us what your plan is. Well, what our, my plan was that I, a friend of mine said to me, because he knows I raised the matter on a, 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 a lot of times, every opportunity I get at meetings, and he said to me, no, well, I lived in Australia for a while, and in Paris there, dog fouling bags were compulsory. So they had to have a bag. So the warrants, as you said, find it very hard to police it at the way it is at the moment because you have to catch the dog in the act of dog fouling, of doing a dog poo, and that's nearly impossible. Mm-hmm. And then trying to trace back the owner and so on. But with, at least if you have something that the bags are compulsory and you see someone without a bag, well, then you're finding them and you're reminding them of their responsibility. There are some of the things that we're hoping to bring forward. Other than that, we're trying to do a big campaign, educational mm. campaign, and let people know that you must clean up after yourself. Because I had a lady lately, uh, Michael, going back a number of months ago, that took a relative out in a wheelchair and came back home with the wheelchair destroyed in dog fouling. You can imagine how upset that caused to the person in the wheelchair yeah, and to the person. Yeah, it's right. totally unfair. Yeah, yeah. Unfair. It's animalistic, and it's not the animal's yeah. fault, it's the owner's fault. Um, uh, what, what, what kind of a, a fine would you be proposing? Well, I, I think, start, first of all, maybe when, when, when you see people, I suppose, when we're introducing it, you remind people, you, of course, that most people might say they forgot or so on, yeah. and you say, right, you, we'll, we'll give you the opportunity. But I think something in the region of 100 to 200 quid, and that would make people realise that they have to have the bags with them. First, uh, first offence, a warning. Second offence, uh, a euro, 100 euro fine uh, for not having a bag with you. Exactly, and I think that's your, and, 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 and probably a good promotion campaign to let people know that you must have a bag. Because I do understand maybe some people go, mm. there, oh, they forgot a bag. But I think it needs to happen. We need to do something, Michael. Yeah. We need to be stepping up the game now because, as I say, people are walking on the main streets. And the other one then that made me raise it as well, Michael, was, <coughs> excuse me, was in summer evenings coming, children are playing in the green areas, and people are still leaving dogs out in their estates early mm. in the morning, late at night to do the business and forgetting about the, the green areas where kids play, kick a football yeah. and the disease that that can cause. Oh, it's dreadful. Uh, uh, and uh, on the other hand, and there are responsible dog owners who actually do forget to take the bags out. I know some people uh, who kill themselves when it happens, you know, uh, and they might go back and get a bag and come back and pick it up. Uh, but if uh, they were asked along the way, uh, well, then uh, it probably would be an accident. But this may focus minds. I wonder if it might be uh, the first of two steps. Uh, I was in Spain years and years ago uh, and all of the dog owners were going along with bottles of water. Uh, and maybe we should be asking people, have you got a bag and a bottle of water? Uh, and if a dog did a wee, uh, you'd see people washing away the wee. 
Yeah, and that, and that's a very good idea. I saw that myself in Spain because people take it very seriously over there because they don't want anyone having to clean up after their dog and and, and walking on it. So a bottle of water, the bag, I think that's a very good idea. There are other things we can look at. But we need to educate people as well because I, uh, you said it there again, there, most of the people do the right thing and are very responsible for what, what for their dog pooing and, 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 and causing a, 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 a mess on the path or in the payment and they clean up but there is a minority out there and the one that really upsets as well and I sort of said this was cleaning you know even collection of the bins I want to thank the people that do it here and for mine I do it all over the country because that's not a nice job either mm. so when they are disposing of the bag to tie it properly and make sure it's secured because if it goes into the bin it's unsecured well then it's causing a mess for the people cleaning up after that as well so mm. there's a lot of things we need okay. to educate people about Well do you know what no, we, we're, we're lucky enough to have a, a lot of uh, the local councillors in County Loud and in County Mead listening to us uh, this morning perhaps some of them will follow your example in Cork and thank you indeed for taking the time to talk to us and tell us uh, thank about you, Michael, that for thank you very much on. indeed thank you, thank you. that's uh, Finnegal Councillor on Cork County Council and for Moy Municipal District Council Noel McCarthy Michael Reed on LMFM. Gardy recorded 582 hate crimes and hate-related non-crime incidents in 2022. That compares uh, to 448 in 2021, uh, an increase of some 30%. Of the 582 incidents, 135 of those were because of sexual orientation. People uh, attacking people because of uh, their sexuality. Let's speak to Porrick Rice, Policy and Research Manager with LGBT Ireland. Good morning to Porrick and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme uh, this morning. Very, Good very morning. hard to understand why somebody would uh, act like that. Uh, I thought that type of behaviour was relegated to the past. Yeah, I suppose, well, I suppose what we've seen recently is an, an increase in, in some of these attacks. And as you said, there's been a 30% increase um, in attacks in, re- in relation to, to hate crimes. Yeah, in many ways, I think we did think that a lot of this had gone away. And I suppose like moments like the marriage equality referendum, we would have thought would have solved a lot of these issues. But in some ways, there's always been this, this underlying um, issues around homophobia um, and around attacks on people who are, who are different. And I suppose in some ways, we've got, we've got new elements like social media that were some of this is really being being stoked up. Um, so unfortunately, yeah, there has been a rise and we've seen this kind of across the country. Often people maybe leaving a gay bar or maybe on the bus or sometimes in their home. And we've seen attacks where people have first come to kind of the homophobic slur and then the attack or the robbery. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, a, it's really kind of a worrying increase, um, I guess. Mm. Yeah, and I suppose uh, there's nothing new in uh, skinheads or that uh, type of mentality standing outside of known gay bars waiting for people to come out uh, and attack them. Uh, But I I take it all of these incidents weren't physically violent. Yes, so I think it it covers a range of different incidents. Um, Yes, some of it is the kind of the kind of the verbal attacks or some of it is, is the violence but it, yeah it covers a range of different uh, hate related incidents or motivations or sometimes it's, you know it, it's the criminal damage it's the, the, the slur that, that spray painted outside of someone's house um, the racist remarks or, or those kind of things that happen so you are seeing a kind of a range of, of, of different incidents and uh, things that are happening um, 
and I suppose what's, what's important to know is that I suppose that there are solutions to this and there are ways of tackling it and we really have really hope that this is kind of a wake-up call for government um, we've been calling for many years for robust hate crime legislation and we're still waiting for that to be passed and we really want to see that progress through the Oireachtas and enacted before the summer but also I think there's, there's lots of other things that need to happen to ensure that we don't see crimes like this continue you know we want to see better training for Gardaí, for the judges, for the DPP. We want to see more community Gardaí on the ground, better reporting, better monitoring and data collection, kind of more awareness campaigns, mm. and better victim support. And I know in Northern Ireland, we've been engaging with our, our partners in the Rainbow Project, and they have a hate crime advocacy support service, which kind of gives wraparound support to somebody who has been maybe a victim of attack. And we don't really have that infrastructure here. But ultimately, I think we need to get prevention uh, through education, um, we really need to just yeah tackle this and kind of stamp it out because the thing with hate crimes are that they're signal crimes. Uh, they don't just affect the individual. They send out a signal to an entire community that you're unsafe as a result of the crime. So we say like hate crimes hurt us all. Um, so there is a huge kind of ripple effect across society and yeah. um, for the affected communities um, who have been targeted because of their identity or their sexual orientation. And um, so it really does have this, this, this huge impact uh, on the community as a whole. So it's really important that it's addressed uh, proactively mm. and that hopefully we can see the numbers reduced next year as opposed to increase. Well you can have all of the laws in place that you can think of and regardless of how well they are policed they won't change mindsets necessarily. Uh, why do people hate other people because of their sexual orientation or is that a question that's impossible for you to answer? It, it is a hard one and it is a really uh, tricky one I suppose. Um, what, what we've seen though I think in, in terms of this it, it's it's part of a kind of a wider, bigger picture. Like, and this 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 anti-LGBT sentiment. It's not happening in isolation. Like, it, it's tied to an anti-migrant sentiment. Sorry to visible rise and violence in the streets and protests. It's almost kind of an, an anti-difference sentiment. You know, it's 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 kind of against anybody who's out seen outside the norm. Kind of an attack on difference and diversity. And we haven't just seen this here. We've seen it in the UK. We've seen it in the US and other European countries. Um, uh, there's a European organisation called ILGA who said this has been the most, most violent year for LGBT people in a decade. Mm. But we've kind of seen that this rise um, in, in a kind of, yeah, an anti-difference or anti-diversity and it really, it kind of, it tries to other people and that sort of leads to, it kind of points out that, that that LGBT people are maybe very different and then that leads to kind of the harassment, bullying mm. and, and sometimes the violence. And, it, it gets and worse than that though, Porik, doesn't it? Uh, I know you lived in Uganda for some time. The Ugandan president has uh, described uh, the LGBTQ community as deviants and the Ugandan parliament uh, yesterday voted uh, to impose a penalty for homosexual sexuality of death, the death sentence for mm-hmm. uh, people uh, who are involved in same-sex activities. Uh, it really is a, a different situation in Africa. That's the most extreme, but I, I think uh, homosexuality is outla- outlawed in 35 African countries. Yeah, so, so I had, I had the, the privilege of living in Uganda for, for six months, uh, working with, with an Irish NGO, um, doing charity work for, for, for six months, and it was a fantastic opportunity. But in Uganda, LGBT people have been used by the political parties for, for many years to to distract against other issues. And, and when I lived there, um, 
they had the, what they were calling at the time the Kill the Gays bill was being debated in Parliament and, and this has been an issue that, that, that's been in the kind of political debate at the centre of Ugandan politics. That was for, official political <laughs> discourse. That, that that was the name on the bill. That's the way the politicians were describing it. That's what, yeah, everybody was calling it, yeah. Kill the gays. Kill the gays bill is how it was referred oh to. Um, yeah. But it, And it was also, like, I, I remember being in a, a meeting one time and at the time the bill talked about reporting people to the police and some, uh, uh, some, a woman in the meeting asked, she said, if, if I know somebody uh, who's gay, am I allowed to report them to the police asking a colleague? And I was sitting at the table. Um, but yeah, so it, 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 it's a different context, I suppose, uh, in Africa. Um, and then we've seen kind of yeah, extreme um, violence and yeah, and extreme levels. And as you say, in many countries, it's still a crime to be gay, which which is ridiculous, you know. Mm. And it's um, and now they will kill the gays. It seems in Uganda, it must have been um, a pretty dangerous place for you to be. Yeah, I guess it's it's much safer for for me as a, a, a white person from Europe working there than many of the locals. But um, yeah, you just have to be proud about things, and you wouldn't be open about being gay while you're there. And, and many of the, the the gay people um, wouldn't be yeah wouldn't be out about it, or if they were, they would, they would be very much in private. Um, mm. And often, yeah, it's kind of sometimes kind of embassies and stuff. People might be open about being LGBT, but. And they wouldn't uh, in, in other settings. So it's, um, but there are some very brave activists who are who are on the ground, who are leading campaigns, who are trying to um, make a difference. Um, but there's, there is a, a long way to go. Um, but I think that what I chose is one is that I suppose that, that there's, there's, a, there's a global issue here that there that that you know we're a minority community, maybe ten to fifteen percent of the population, and that we exist right around the world in every different society and every different culture. And that in, in many places we're, we're under attack in different ways, and I suppose it does put some of the issues face here in context. But it, I suppose it doesn't. Um, yeah, there's a lot of work to do right around the world to make it a, a better place. Well, the message I, the message I take from it is we can do a, an awful lot better here than in Uganda, and I think that probably is uh, the case. Unfortunately, yeah, there's a, a made, small minority of people, as is always the case with hate crimes. It's a small minority of people uh, who are causing problems. Yeah, and we've made such huge progress here, and I think it's important to always remember, like, we've made incredible progress here. So it, it was a crime in Ireland to be gay up until 1993, and, and we often forget that. Mm, yeah. um, mm. We only decriminalised in the 90s, but we've made incredible progress in the last 30 years. Okay. There's no doubt about it, but we, I suppose our message is we, we won't be taking a single step back. Okay, Patrick. Um, we're going to... I'm, I'm out of time. I'm sorry to cut you short, but I am out of time. And thank you indeed for joining us. Good to talk Cheers, to you. Porrick Rice, Policy and Research Manager with LGBT Ireland. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, let's talk politics. Dutch politics. Pat O'Toole is the political editor with the Irish Farmers Journal. A very good morning to you, Pat, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. You've been watching the rise of the BBB party, which has won 15 out of 75 seats in the Dutch Senate, which is the equivalent of 20% of the seats. And you've been looking at what that might mean there and how it might compare to political representation for farmers here. Yeah, so the BBB is only four years old, um, founded in the wake of farmer protests against government regulations around nitrates, uh, which are going to massively impact uh, farming, especially dairy farming. Uh, And uh, the Netherlands, I suppose... When you think of the Netherlands, one of the most urban 
uh, densely populated countries in Europe, uh, one of the most progressive countries in Europe, a very stable political democracy. The uh, Prime Minister has been in place uh, for 13 years, leading a four-party centrist coalition. So this party, uh, in its first election, the general election in 2021, got 1% of the vote and one seat in the 150-seat parliament, which would make them broadly equivalent to A&2. Mm. Um, and uh, Caroline van der Plaats, uh, the party leader, was their, their only parliamentary representative. Uh, last week, as you say, in the uh, regional elections, which then informed the Senate, which will be filled in May-June by those regional uh, politicians, uh, they topped the poll in each of the 12 Dutch provinces, gained 20% of the first preference vote, are now the largest party in local government by a distance. Mm. A and meteoric rise, really, to, Absolutely. to go from 1% in one poll to 20% in the most recent poll. So <clears throat> I think all of Europe is looking at this. Uh, it's a populist party, and we've seen populist parties, Macron's en marche <clears throat> in France, seen a <clears throat> populist right-wing party in in Italy, you could argue that Boris Johnson and, or, and Donald Trump were both populists um, and led popular movements and very reactionary. <clears throat> so is this part of the same trend only coming from rural Ireland or rural Netherlands? And could we see something similar happen in rural Ireland? So yeah. uh, we, we asked that question of some politicians in today's paper, and I looked at it for the weekend online read. Um, and there's certainly... Uh, the grounds for it, because if you look across our, our parliamentary uh, representation, there's 160 TDs in place. 22 of them are independents, um, and then we've got some in, in very small parties. And if you take into, you know, it would be a party seen as right of centre on some issues, um, and and would fall in line with the independents on a lot of issues around rural life and farming and planning, and transport, um, forestry. Uh, turf cutting, you know, we've mm, got mm. we've got a huge range of issues related to rural life, not just around farming. Um, but the the independents, nineteen of the twenty two independents are recognisably uh, uh, rural, and recognisably uh, would would be mostly right of centre. We've got an independent in Loudon, in Peter Fitzpatrick, <coughs> who came from Fine Gael. Uh, you've got the likes of Dennis Nocton was the same, uh, Verona Murphy in Wexford. Uh, you had people such as Matty McGrath, the Healy Rays, who came from Fianna Fáil. And then you have some who erupted over single issues, Cahill Berry over army uh, uh, issues in Kildare, Matt Shanahan in Waterford over hospital issues, M- Michael Fitzmaurice mm. succeeded Luton Flanagan in uh, Common Galway in relation to issues around turf coating. Uh, Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So you've got, um, you've got this broad platform of uh, independence in place in the doll, uh, and most of them electorally pretty secure, I think, the, the bookies will be saying a lot of them will be returned in the next doll. And you could understand support uh, for independents who come from uh, the Fine Gael gene pool. Uh, I think uh, the political party of choice for a, a lot of farmers would have traditionally been Fine Gael. That's turned on its head, hasn't it? Uh, recently, uh, I think there's more support for Sinn Féin now, which would never have been seen as a, a farmer's party. <laughs> Yeah, no, Sinn Féin have, have stalled. Uh, Fine Gael are still the largest farmers' party. We've been tracking <clears throat> uh, support among farmers twice a year since, well, certainly since I joined the Farmers' Journal 15 years ago. And Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael sort of had about 35% each uh, and heading up towards 40% uh, back in when I joined. Fianna Fáil's support halved uh, after the economic meltdown and there was a slashing of a lot of programs relating to farming and farm supports uh, as a result including the reps program and the uh, retirement scheme and installation so at the time farmer support evaporated for Fianna Fáil they have rebuilt it since and they're now um, back up in the 20s Fine Gael are in the high 20s Fianna Fáil are in the low 20s but the third most significant group is independence uh, in the high teens mm. and Sinn Féin have stalled at about 15% which is about half of their support less than half of their support among the general voting public so farmers are quite conservative in their voting patterns farmers are older as a rule than uh, than the general population the age profile of farming is concerned uh, going forward but the uh, in terms of the rural Ireland and <clears throat> the politics and the dynamic, if you were on the gates during the beef protests in 2019, it was quite a young group of people, not of all of whom were farming, <coughs> certainly a lot of them were part-time, very frustrated at the way farming is being treated. Uh, <clears throat> a lot of complaining on those gates, especially late at night, about the way the government looked at rural Ireland. Um, if you look at the turf protests, again, you know, a much broader platform than than farmers. So the possibility and the support base of those independents we've talked about is much broader than just the farming base. But they do see farming as a priority issue, uh, and they see it as, I suppose, the economic hub of rural Ireland. So there is definitely the possibility, and I, I believe that the independents separately are looking. They're in three distinct groups at the moment, um, but they are looking at whether it's possible to build a platform 
And it's interesting that the BBB, uh, the direct translation of it is the Farmer Citizen Movement, not so much a party. Um, it's a broad-based movement, uh, ideologically led uh, around a number of issues. But uh, that could happen here. It would require those independents to maybe bury their egos and, and work together. Um, and that's quite difficult. Uh and, and would need a lot of work. I would imagine if it does so, and Michael Fitzmaurice and Michael McNamara from Clare, uh, who's a former Labour TD, who's independent, both said that they could see a sort of a platform, an agenda agreed between this broad group where they would come together on mm. a range of issues and that they would campaign on those issues in an election and then would deliver on them in government or in opposition mm. in a future parliament. Indeed, Richard uh, O'Donoghue uh, led uh, the way uh, with uh, one or two of these protests, uh, farmer protests. That's correct. Um, but, but it is complex. I mean, if you look at the, the vote yesterday on the uh, on the rental, the Healy Rays voted in opposite directions. Um, that was bizarre. Uh, well, well, you could also say it, it's strategically very clever because whichever <laughs> way you look at that issue, there's a Healy Ray on your side, yeah. which you might remember. The, the, uh, there's the, a Healy Ray on the other side too. The, but the, uh, the, the cute Healy Rays. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, very good. So, uh, it, it, but it, it just shows the complexity of trying mm. to um, uh, deliver. I mean, when you look at a political party, the Green Party would be the, I suppose, the most flat arrangement and loose arrangement of the parties in government by mm. a distance. But I saw a comment this morning NASA Harrigan is going to be suspended, I believe, for 15 months because right. she voted mm-hmm. against the government yesterday. And someone said that Eamon Ryan would have been banned in Cheltenham for overuse of the whip. So mm. uh, you, it's very hard to have a whip in, uh, in, in, in a loose affiliation of independent uh, deputies. So that will be the challenge for a BBB-type movement. And do you believe, and that will though, be the that... challenge for the BBB itself. And if, if it goes into power in the Netherlands, how will they govern and do you believe that a farmer citizen type political party here made up of the independents uh, would be even stronger than the independents running uh, individually the way they do and then forming groups in the doll? Electorally, it might be more attractive in that like Irish people like to see uh, their deputies impact. Um, and there's, I think there's a a deep understanding of how politics works among the electorate. Uh, it's often said we have a very sophisticated electorate who vote for the government they want and get it. Uh, I don't know if that's true, but what I do know is that in order to um, be effective, eventually uh, a voice for rural Ireland would have to strive to be in government and it would have to be disciplined, it would have to be um, united and it would have to uh, be willing to make some unpopular decisions because let's be realistic if you're talking about the future of farming and the evolution of food production in Ireland if you're talking about land use which I talk about in this week's paper and the challenges as we go towards our legally binding target of being carbon zero by 2050 uh, massive challenges there and uh, there are no easy answers uh, and anyone who thinks there are easy answers will be disappointed if that's what they vote for because once in power, any party, and that will be, it'll be the same for Sinn Féin if they mm. form the next government or the independents if they form a BBDB-type movement, 
they're going to have the same questions that this government is wrestling with and no obvious answers. Okay. One final thing, I think planning yeah. is a huge issue. I mean, housing is the central issue that has bedeviled this administration. Um, yesterday's vote was an indication that the opposition, and I think the people believe that the government have failed on this issue. And uh, rural planning is a massive issue, and I think it would be one that any rural platform would lead on because there's a sharp division between government <coughs> and the powers that be mm. uh, and the people of rural Ireland. And remember, yeah. more, than half of, more, more than half the population lives in rural Ireland and more than half the population of rural Ireland live in one-off houses mm. and uh, in, in small clusters. And there's another big, huge issue for farmers, particularly in County Meath, County Cavan, uh, and uh, that is uh, the north-south interconnector which uh, the government has now decided will go ahead and I think we're going to be seeing opposition uh, from farmers and local people to that in, in the coming weeks and we'll be talking about that in a moment and perhaps that would feed into uh, the uh, agenda that you're talking about as well, Pat. It's, it's a very- classic example of, of, the, uh, of the issues that matter hugely locally um, and uh, where you know a candidate can emerge as a voice of uh, of the people, for want of a better phrase, put that in inverted commas, um, and, and and be catapulted into into the doll. That, that that's something we've seen over and over. Okay, Pat, I have to leave there. Thank you indeed for joining us on the programme today. Pat O'Toole is the political editor with the Irish Farmers Journal. Certainly some food for thought, not just for independents, but for others for that matter. Let me get to some of the many comments that have been coming to us today. Claire Mead uh, wonders if uh, the government thinks we're stupid. She says all of the government are landlords and they don't care. Little children homeless. How dare our government allow this to happen in our country? is a mess. Betty Daly thinking along the same lines saying, Michael, I wonder if uh, the eviction of people in rental houses uh, is in place to suit the many ministers who have properties uh, want them for their cronies. Thank you indeed, Betty Daly. A lot of calls about the eviction ban. A WhatsApp message next uh, from somebody who says, Michael, I'm homeless and I was told by Mead County Council I'd be waiting 10 years. So where are they going to put these people who end up being being evicted. Uh, thanks, uh, Paul, for that. Uh, another text from somebody who says, I- I'm renting myself. If the landlord suddenly made me homeless, I'd break into a property that's been idle for years and I'd live there until I'm told to leave. That's Stephen in Drogheda. Thanks as always, Stephen. Another WhatsApp message from somebody who says, as I've said before about this housing pandemic, uh, it'll only get worse. Uh, and it can only be tackled by a cross-party committee with the sole purpose of trying to solve and plan for the future of housing in the whole of the country. If these politicians are really serious, put aside their selfish gains for the good of all of uh, the people. Uh, we've some texts about dogs. Deirdre says people should clean up after them or be fined uh, and then uh, they'll take it seriously. In the US, somebody else says, dog owners are obliged when they're walking their dog in a lead to keep the dog close to them and not yards away. Uh, We'd somebody else then saying, why is it that dog owners are not asked to show their dog license, just as car owners are asked from time to time? Thank you for that as well. 
And an email from Theresa Riley who says, Fianna Fáil Senator Casey, that's Pat Casey, uh, who was with us at the start of the programme, is just a, a, another of the ignorant, despicably sickening lackeys of this utterly failing government. His contrived defence of this cruel act of government and attempt to blame the opposition is insane and beyond belief. Supporting the lifting of the eviction ban at this time is indefensible, no matter how you dress it up. His attack on those concerned citizens against this move is contemptible. She says his logic is is deeply flawed and his spouting of the usual old political BS to defend the total failures of government for decades is depressing. We deserve better than those morons making decisions for us. We need to rid ourselves of ignorant, greedy, self-interested dinosaurs like this. Well... Uh, don't hold back, uh, Teresa. Spit it out if you have something to say. <laughs> I don't think uh, uh, you need to, to be told, Teresa. Thank you indeed for your very strong email. Michael, Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, the government has uh, decided it's time to go to construction of uh, the North South Interconnector as planned overground. Not everybody in Fianna Fáil agrees. This is Senator Shane Castles. Uh, here, look, last night the department of Environment and Communications published the North-South Interconnector Project Independent Expert Review uh, report. And it's simply unbelievable that uh, a Green Minister could think and stand over this report whereby 300 megastructures, pylons, would be put across the landscape of Meath and Cavan and Monaghan and that a Green Minister can think that this is environmentally good. The last time I checked, I thought the Greens were for the environment. But somehow, megastructures of steel going through historically sensitive areas is okay. But maybe only the environment exists within the confines of Dublin and not beyond it. Now, going back over this independent report which looked at the various other reports from down through the year and this has been going on for 15 years myself and the leader um, Senator Regina Doherty have been long working on this particular issue and going back to 2008 in a report um, it was acknowledged that undergrounding technology is noted to play an important role in urban and congested areas or where the specific environmental constraints occur for example within areas of outstanding scenic beauty it is reprehensible that the concerns, the consistent concerns of public representatives and the public are not acknowledged. And what are we trading off here in terms of the constant calls, in terms of energy security, vis-a-vis the desecration for decades, if not hundreds of years to come, by what is being purported here? And finally, Cahirlock, on a briefing Yesterday evening, which was disgracefully held at short notice, I just want to finish on this point, Tom that it was put forward by department officials that air grid officials Thank you. would now consult with landowners. They've had 15 years of botched efforts where they have Good not moment. listened to the concerns Thank of you. the ordinary people. And I doubt it that they are now going to take it upon themselves to have genuine concern for ordinary people. But I know that we will continue to make their cause. And you will be hearing a lot more of it in here as well, Cahirlock. Maybe so. The government has uh, decided to go to the construction phase of uh, the North-South Interconnector. That's one local dissenting voice within one of uh, the government parties, Fianna Fáil. 
and Shane Castles may be a lone voice. Uh, Thomas Byrne, uh, local TD and uh, Minister for Sport, uh, says in a statement uh, to this programme that in opposition, Fianna Fáil called for a review of the North-South Interconnector to be undertaken and in government, Fianna Fáil ultimately ensured that such a review took place. That review has now concluded and having read the review, it is apparent that the conclusions of the previous 2018 International Expert Commission to build the North-South Interconnector above ground remain unchanged. Minister Byrne says, on a personal level, I am disappointed that the review, the political campaigning and the various legal actions, both as far as the Supreme Court and at European level, have not succeeded in changing the position. And the minister says, I recognise, however, that there has been a consensus that the North-South interconnector is critical for a number of reasons, including a reduction in the cost of electricity and meeting our renewable energy targets. In addition, the issue of energy independence has become increasingly to the fore. And I note that the finding that the North-South interconnector is considered critical for security of electricity supply in Ireland. Uh, the minister is obviously accepting the position of the government, although he says personally he's disappointed that that is uh, the decision. But it would seem that that's the end of the matter as far as Minister Byrne is concerned. We'll be speaking with Minister Thomas Byrne and Senator Shane Castles on the programme, but not until next week. When we heard Senator Jane Castle speaking in, Shannon Aaron, yesterday, you'd have heard to mention Regina Doherty, and we thought maybe we should give a mention to some of the Fine Gael representatives in County Meath. Regina Doherty hasn't spoken to this programme uh, for a very long time, as some of you may know. Uh, Helen McEntee, uh, the Minister for Justice, is on maternity leave uh, and therefore not uh, available. And Damien English uh, hasn't spoken to this programme or any other media, it has to be said, since he was disgraced and forced to leave office as a a minister. Uh, We have uh, put questions uh, to Damien English's office uh, in the hope that he will speak to us or at least issue a statement to the programme on behalf of what is such an important issue. But by all accounts, uh, outside of the prospect of a general election, it seems that the North-South interconnector is going to go ahead as has always been planned, as was planned 15 years ago, overground with overground pylons. Uh, Nick Killian is an independent councillor. He's the chair of Meath County Council and he's on the line. A very good morning to you, Nick Killian, and thank you morning, indeed Mike. for joining us. Uh, do you believe that there'll be resistance to this when... Uh, the I have, I have no doubt. Um, my recollection is a bit ironic from my point of view. I remember in 2007, um, Airgrid coming at that stage into Meath County Council. I was here, look at that stage, and very arrogantly told us what they were going to do and how they were going to do it. And nothing seems to have changed. Um, I'd be as Cahirlock of the county. I, I'm extremely concerned. This is a, a very divisive issue within the county. Um, the group that's been there from the very beginning, um, the NEPP group, have, uh, to be fair to them, have worked tirelessly in trying to bring forward uh, the view of having undergrounding. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it's to me, I actually seen a, a pylon poster there a couple of weeks ago, and yeah, I just looked at it, but kind of thought, well, this thing is dead in the water. So it's not. This is a reawakening of what's to come. And I'd be very, very concerned uh, from the perspective of 
what air grids and how they're going. They're talking now about talking to people and in, and communicating. They've had 15 years to do that. Um, it's, it's, it's an issue, obviously, that affects the lives of everybody, the supply of electricity. We need a constant and certainty in our supply of electricity. I think when they talk um, about talking to people, they're uh, actually saying they're going to start now negotiating with farmers uh, and coming up uh, with... What happens if farmers don't nego- won't well, negotiate? Well, that's them. what I was going to say. They're going to start writing checks. Some of the farmers will accept the checks and some won't. And I take it that's why you say it's divisive. So, yeah, that's, that's my concern, that, you know, a farmer A will sell and farmer B won't. And, you know, that, that is, you know, something that would, la- would put in neighbour against neighbour nearly and would create divisions in families and divisions in communities. And that's what concerns me as Cahirlik of, of the county, that this could... and. Probably will happen if um, everybody goes gung ho to start the construction of it. Do you think there um, could be trouble? I, I honestly do. Yeah, I, I would be fearful that trouble could happen, and that um, tempers could boil over. And uh, people, it's a, it's an emotive issue for farmers. They, they love their land. Um, they want to do the best for the land and it has a, an impact as well from the heritage of the county and of course as councillors we have not been consulted whatsoever you know so you know no surprise there mm. um, do, you, do, you, do you expect CPOs do you expect CPOs to be used I I think everything will be tried I think the the, the government seems to be very tenacious uh, in pursuing this uh, you can see the division that's there in the political party uh, as well so, and can you see? Is, could could you imagine a situation where a compulsory purchase order was put on land, and when the bulldozers try to get in, that there'd be blockades, and that local people would end up being arrested? That's my concern. You know, I, spelling it out, that is my concern, and that blood could be spilt on this. Blood, I my God! Definitely, I definitely do not want to see that happen. Well, I, I, I attended the meetings many years ago. I remember being at a meeting in Kells. Um, probably 10, 12 years ago and the anger in, in the room at that stage and if that anger that was there then comes to the fore now I'd have great concerns and I think that the government need to be very careful in how they deal with this particular issue Would you be concerned Would you be concerned for Gardaí if they were ordered to arrest well, people? I'd be concerned for everybody because you're bringing the whole community uh, into this particular issue. Like, for example, it's not an issue um, in my area, but it's an issue up in the north of the county. And, you know, as Cahirlick of the whole county, um, somebody has to um, bring common sense into this by dealing with people in a certain way, mm. um, empathetically, you know, and that can go out the window. One thing that concerns me, though, in the technology side of things, in reading the last paragraph of the editor's uh, notes in the uh, airgrid yesterday, they say, today's study is an update of the 2012 and 2018 reports and examines possible changes in technology and costs which may have taken place in the intervening years. That hasn't been published. What is the new technologies? I haven't seen anything on that, and I've been trying to research it just this morning. Um, so I, I think 
we had a situation in in um, the Ashburn and Rathout municipal districts where uh, a pipe was coming from, um, I think it was Rush or Balbriggan over that way, and it was undergrounded. Mm. And I know it's a different type of cable, and um, you know, but it can be done. It's been done in Europe. We, 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 we were hoping, we were hoping, expecting, to be honest, uh, to have had the opportunity to put some of uh, these questions to Airgrid yesterday, uh, yeah. and that didn't happen. And it's not going to happen today. Uh, we hope that it will happen in the coming days. Uh, what they have got to be honest. They have got to be open and honest as to how they are going to deal with the communities uh, of this county if this gets divisive, and they'll have to be upfront. Uh, and honest into how they're going to deal with it. Are they going, to, for example, if if, if a, a, an air grid um, digger arrives on a site, uh, what are they going to do if they're if they're blocked? Are they going to call the guards? Are, you know what's going? All of this has to be trashed out before you know there's one shovel put in the ground to put this to put a an interconnector between here and the north. And I think we also have to talk to our colleagues in in uh, Cavan and Monaghan as well. Mm and find out what they're going to do. But this has come out, I suppose, we should have been expecting it. It's come It's come left field. And it's just a real, this is just a reawakening of everything that occurred back 10, 12 years ago. And I still go back to that night in Kells and the anger in the room uh, that swelled up that night. And if that was to blow out in this situation, I hope to God it doesn't. And I'd be asking every side on this to deal with this sensitively uh, and uh, in, in, in an adult way. But we all know what can happen when tempers are frayed. OK, Nick, I have to leave there. Thank you for joining us on the programme this morning. Independent Councillor Nick Killian is the chair of Meath County Council. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now to a dull motion that was debated yesterday calling for reform of the carer's allowance. Uh, just to say that, um, uh, uh, you know, in my first budget, I increased the carer's support grant to its highest ever level. In my second budget, I was the first minister in 14 years to make changes and improvements to the means test. In this year's budget, we had the largest increase to weekly carer's payment for about 15 years. I have uh, provided combined lump sum payments of over 1,000 to support carers uh, with uh, the cost of living. As I have outlined, the priority for me now is to make sure our long-term carers have access to a pension. And we have to do more, and I do accept that. We're not opposing this motion, and I do look forward to hearing deputies' contributions. And I will take on board the points raised, and as I said earlier, I can assure you that supporting our carers will be a priority for me once again in Budget 2024. Now, that's the Minister for Social Protection, Heather Humphreys, responding uh, to that motion that was tabled by Independent TD for Sligo Leadrum, Marion Harkin, who's on uh, the line. A very good morning to you. Thanks for joining us on uh, the programme uh, again this morning, Marion Harkin. And despite the Minister's best efforts, uh, you're calling for more. You're saying that the carers' allowance should be adequate and uh, that the disregard, the income disregard for carers should be increased and quite significantly uh, as well as some other measures to do with means testing and indeed how young carers are supported. 
Well, good morning to you, Michael, and to all the listeners in LMFM. It's great to be back chatting you again. You'll probably remember when I was in the European Parliament, I chaired the Carers Interest Group, and I had several discussions with you about this issue. So it's great in all Erin to be able to continue that work. First of all, I want to say, you know, to be fair to Minister Humphreys, she actually is the First Minister in 14 years to increase what they call the income disregard for carers allowance. So just so people understand what that means, what it means is the amount of money that you can earn either as a single person or as a household and still get full carers allowance. After that, if you earn any more, if there's any more money coming into the house, then the carers allowance is cut. At the moment, uh, that income disregard means that if a person is earning, an individual is earning or has income above €350 per week, or if a couple have earnings or income above €750 per week, CARES allowance is cut. Hmm. So what I asked the Minister to do was what was promised back in 2006. When CARES allowance was put in place, and it's a good scheme, uh, 33 years ago. Uh, they always tried to ensure that any household on the what they call the average uh, weekly income, so the average across the country, that any household on that would get uh, the full carers allowance. But if you were earning any more than that, then it would start to be cut. And that actually was the case mm. right up to 2008. And people talk about the banking crash and what happened with mortgages and income, and all of that's true. But a lot of people don't fully understand that carers paid a huge price as well. Because from 2008, when the crash happened, to 2022 budget, 14 years, there was no increase in the amount of money you could earn, the income disregard, and still claim full carers. And you're saying a carer should be able to allow should be allowed to earn 450 euro a week without impacting on their allowance, or double that for a couple. Because that is now the average weekly household income. That's the CSO have calculated that that's the average right across from the the, the top, if you like, to the bottom. And as I said. A commitment was made back in 2006 Mm. that they would always try and link those. And to be fair to Minister Humphreys, she actually made uh, sort of, if if you were to look at a 100% jump, she went one third of the way in the 2022 budget, but there was nothing in the 2023. So I, I, I think it was a modest ask and a reasonable ask. What I asked was that in the 2024 budget, that's the one that's coming up this September, October, Mm. whenever, that she would increase that income disregard, the amount of money that comes into a household before they start cutting care allowance. Mm. She would increase that to 450 for an individual, 900 for a household. Uh, And that's what you think should... Uh, people should be allowed to earn before uh, their allowance is impacted. What about the allowance itself? Well, the allowance itself... I've asked, you know, the adequacy of it is certainly... because Do you know what happens with carers' allowance, Michael? It goes towards the cost of caring. This isn't money for a carer. There have been a number of studies, but the government's own study, uh, called the Indicon Report, it showed that 
the cost of caring on average for a household was extra. In other words, if there was somebody who needed care in that household, varied between uh, 175 and 300. For the minimum amount, it was 175 and the top amount, 300. So somewhere in the middle of that might be 230, 240. And the actual carers allowance for anybody under 66 caring for one person is 236 euro. Can I say one thing mm-hmm. about getting yeah. carers mm-hmm. allowance? People might think, oh, well, if somebody needs a bit of care, you can get carers allowance. It's actually not that straightforward at all. Mm-hmm. In order to get carers allowance, you have to be over 18, which is, you know, a crucial point because that means young carers, of which there are 67,000 in the state, don't get it. But you have to be over 18. You can't work outside of the home or study or train for anything more than 18 and a half hours. But the crucial point is that you must provide full-time care, which is at least 35 hours care a week, to a person who is assessed as needing full-time care and attention. And that means continual supervision to avoid that person being a danger to themselves. And it must be for a period of 12 months. So you can see that in order yeah, to... And depe- depending on your income, yeah. even at that, you may not qualify. Uh, exactly. But, but, but the value of uh, the carer's allowance can at times even be greater than the allowance itself because it paves the way for other entitlements, medical aids and that type of thing as well. Carer's allowance is not a qualifying payment for, let's say, fuel allowance, for example. Uh, there, it, it is linked to some extra payments. I mean, all carers uh, would get, uh, you know, if if you're working and you give up work, you get carers benefit. And then after two years, if you're still off work, you can move on to carers allowance. There's the carers support grant, which that goes to automatically. I don't actually know the amount of that off the top of my head. I think it's around 12, 1300 euro per year. So it's it's a small amount of money, but it does help. And, you know, carers get it. But the it, it cares allowance is not linked, for example, to fuel allowance in the way that other social welfare payments are. And that's actually something I call for, because, Michael, if you think about it, if you're caring for an elderly person, um, the, you're going to need more heat in the house. Yeah. Um, so there's no doubt about that. Maybe twice as much as normal. And yet you don't automatically qualify for fuel. But I suppose what I wanted to do was to ask for something that has been promised in 2006, which was left by the wayside completely for 14 years uh, and some progress, about one third of the way we've gone on it. But I wanted to ask the minister to go the rest of the way. So that would mean Mm. that this time next year, carers would be, if you like, at the same level as carers were back in 2008. You know, it, 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 it parallels, if you like. And you mentioned about how much carers save the state. I did a quick uh, calculation just before I came on, because obviously I, I did Sligo Leach from Roscommon uh, and uh, Donny Gall for the Dáil motion, but I had a look at Loud and Mead. And now this is the back of the envelope job, yep. but nonetheless, it's, it's not a million miles out. And according to my calculations, carers and uh would save the state. In other words, if the state were to pay 
20 euro an hour for every hour of care. That's what we're talking about. Um, so carers in Loud uh, save the state around 500 million every single year. That's half a billion euro. And in me, about 780. That's mm. over three quarters of a billion. And now nationally, nationally, the estimate is 20 billion, isn't it? Yes, it is. Now, as I said, that's 20 euro an hour for every hour. But, okay. Michael, the mm. truth of it is carers care out of love, out of yeah. humanity, yeah out of compassion, but they also need support from the state. And whether whether they get that support or not, they'll continue to care. And a a lot of people would feel that's why they don't get sufficient support. Uh, The minister, as we heard there, say the government didn't oppose your motion. Uh, That doesn't mean they supported it, but they didn't uh, oppose it. Uh, But what does that mean? Because as we've learned, I suppose, this week from the eviction ban motion, these motions aren't binding. Uh, And uh, it doesn't matter uh, what way the vote uh, is cast. Uh, The government can do what it wants. What do you expect from the government? If a motion is passed, and, and my motion was, that means that it has the support of the all The motion last night was not passed, so that means it doesn't have the support of the doll. Whereas my motion was passed, and that but it's allowed, still it's still not binding. Oh yeah, absolutely not at all. Mm. But what it what it does is it allows myself and others and Family Carers Ireland and carers organisations across the state to go back to the minister and say, Minister, you didn't oppose that motion. Uh, That means you see merit in it, that there's positives and good things in it, and we want you to make progress on this. It it provides a a good foundation from which to make uh, reasoned arguments for doing something, whatever that thing Mm -hmm. is. Can I say one other thing, uh, Michael? And that is uh, another argument I made was for individualisation. And what that means is this, that if you're you're a couple, uh, then it's the overall means are assessed. So you might have one... Now, when the the carers' allowance was put in place 33 years ago, almost 100% of carers were women. It's now... 77, so it's still the vast majority, mm-hmm. but, it, but it is changing. But the, the payment is paid, or the carer's allowance is paid, depending on the overall income. So that means that uh, if the income coming into the home is over 750, then they start to cut the carer's allowance. So the person who's caring uh, has no individual income or source of any money in their own right. They are dependent entirely on their partner, whoever that is, Mm. to provide money, not just for the household, but for the caring aspect of the household. And the person that's being cared for as well. That should not be the case. Mm. It should be individualised. It will be a big step, but both the uh, Citizens' Assembly and uh, the Joint Oireachtas Committee on Gender Equality have strongly proposed that we move towards this individualisation for assessing income for carers' allowance. Mm. And I hope the Minister will do that, because if she were to do that, that would really mean that we wouldn't have all of these arguments about income disregard, that really it would be a much fairer 
Hi. Indeed, I, I didn't hear one opposing voice in the chamber yesterday. There was huge support uh, for your motion and uh, I think there'll be huge support for it outside uh, of uh, the Oireachtas for that matter. Nice to talk to you. Thank you indeed uh, for taking the time. to talk to you, Michael. Well. Thank you. Thank you indeed. Independent TD for Sligo, Leitrim, Marion Harkin. Michael Reed on LMFM. And the most shocking story of the week, of the year, of the decade, of my life perhaps, is the decision of the Ugandan government to sentence people guilty of homosexuality to death. Let's hear from the president of Uganda, Yuwari Mozaveri. The homosexuals are deviations from normal. The Western countries should stop wasting the time of humanity by trying to impose their practices on other peoples. Right, that's the president. All but two of the MPs voted in favour of the legislation to Im- introduce the death penalty. Let's hear what some of them had to say. A homosexualist is the one who protects, promotes, defends so let it be life imprisonment for whoever recruits our children, for whoever gets involved in making sure that our children are involved into this. These people should be castrated. <laughs> yes. So despite her being sexually woman, she defends herself as a man. I find it very vague. In our country, we will have our morals, we will protect our children, and we are making this law, we are making this law for ourselves, we are making this law for our children, we are making this law for the children of our children. This country will stand firm. And once it passed, I can tell you, Madam Speaker, we are going to reinforce the law enforcement officers to make sure that homosexuals have no space in Uganda. Yeah. And members of uh, the Ugandan parliament celebrated with a bit of a, a sing song because uh, they're going to kill the gays. As Porik told us, uh, that's how they campaigned uh, for this legislation kill the gays bill. Before we leave you today, thanks to Mick in Trim, uh, who says lower prices uh, because of uh, these pylons, uh, lower electricity prices. Do they think we're fools? We're destroying County Mead. Use the sea and the windmills. What dormant politicians will reappear uh, and ban? says caring or the carers allowance isn't a benefit because caring is a job thank you to everybody who was in touch with us today Maggie McGuire researched today's programme Chris Murray was in the control tower I'm Michael God willing we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am on LMFM good morning bye bye The Michael Reed Show podcast tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM to contact us email now michael at lmfm.ie Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.